Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for this opportunity to take a look at this whole chapter. And taking that one verse, that call for us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Father, as we just think through what you have been teaching us and challenging us on over the last five or six weeks, then Lord, tonight that we would make some decisions, Lord, in our hearts of what needs to change. As we think about what it means to live a an authentic spiritual life, following you, our Heavenly Father, trusting in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Please, please show us how we can, how we can see a, a bit of your kingdom that's in heaven come on earth as we wait for that fully realised kingdom to come. So please help us this evening um, and speak to us for your glory. Amen. Okay. I want you to imagine the perfect world this evening. A world where nothing is wrong. Can you do such a thing? A world that's free from doctors, free from having to go to funerals. An earth that's stable. You don't have to worry about earthquakes and natural disasters. You never have to worry about having an empty plate or sharing in the latest fashion. A world where whatever the weather is, when you open the curtains in the morning, you have a smile on your face. A, wor a world where you enjoy working. And it's always fruitful. You never need anything. Imagine a world where all the people are perfect. There's no sin. Relationships are open and heartfelt. People's actions are completely for your benefit. And of course yours for theirs. A world where we rejoice in one another's differences, where we celebrate one another's gifts, where we don't care what people think of us. There's no competition to be the greatest. Does that sound good so far? Imagine a world that's ruled by a good king. Righteous, fair, just, faithful, relational. A king that uses his power to bless and to help. A world where you can walk and be friends with that leader, that ruler, that king. You can see him face to face. And where everyone lovingly and joyfully submits to that king and follows him. What would you like? Would you like to live in a world like that? And of course, whatever we think of as our perfect world, and I'm sure you would have thought of different things to me, it's never actually going to be perfect in our minds, is it? It's always going to be tainted with sin, unfortunately. We're always going to slip into the, the selfishness that we've seen in this chapter, in Matthew chapter 6. Things like seeking our own glory, selfish desires. Maybe we'll follow the king, but we actually want some independence from the king as well. Maybe we'll want to keep a bit of treasure for ourselves and, and just enjoy that for us rather than from other people. Of course, there's never, well, there's only ever been one time in history where there has been a perfect world, where nothing was wrong, where people followed the king. Of course, we read about that in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. 
time where there was no sin, no death, time when the people walked with God in the cool of the day and they enjoyed his blessings. And maybe sometimes we wish Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit. What would it have been like if they hadn't? But of course, the Garden of Eden is a long time ago. It's a million miles away from here. So is that desire for perfect world just a pipe dream well if you were to speak to a first century Jew who believed in the Old Testament who believed all the promises that God had made then no it wouldn't it would be something they were looking forward to a promise of restoration of a people of God in their own land protected safe a time when God would rule they would experience his blessings there would be peace and prosperity and all would be well but then God promised a kingdom and a king who would rule in justice and righteousness where there would be freedom from their enemies and security forever and ever. A kingdom where nobody would die. Where the wolf would lie with the lamb. These are the things that were promised those Old Testament people of God. A hope, a longing, would it ever come? And then one day, onto the world scene, walks this man called Jesus. And Luke, in his gospel, tells us he stood up and he read from the prophet Isaiah. And unrolling it, he found the place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everybody in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He went outside and travelled around telling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is near. Wow. Who is this man? What is his business? Listen to his claims. See the miracles he's performing. Watch his love for the outcast and the sinner. Jesus has come to proclaim the kingdom. He's come to set up this kingdom. as a long promised king and he is the king. Sermon on the Mount, this section of Matthew 5 to 7 that we're looking at. It's all about what it means to live in the kingdom. Jesus says he comes to fulfill the Old Testament promises to perfect the kingdom which will last forever and ever. So on the one hand, the time is now. The king is here. But yet, of course, we know that the kingdom is not yet fully as it will be one day. Jesus preached the good news and people throughout the centuries, all the way down to today, with you and I, people have turned from the sin to follow this king, to worship him. The promises of enjoying that perfect kingdom are yours. They're still to come, and as we see in this passage, between now and then, our King Jesus calls us to seek first his kingdom. 
and to live for his righteousness. And so this evening as we, as we wait for that final day, as we wait for Jesus to return, what does it mean for us to seek the kingdom and his righteousness? And as I said, we're going to skim over the chapter 6 and think about, think about what needs to change in our lives as we explore an authentic spiritual life together. Ask ourselves some questions that we've been asking over the last few weeks about what it means to seek first. What it means to no longer seek our own glory, our own fame. What it means to bless others, to serve God rather than ourselves. What does it mean? What is the kingdom of God? What is righteousness that we seek? But if you were around on, in Sunday mornings over the summer and during the series on the Lord's Prayer, then you probably would have heard the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven language. It was in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. And of course, the Lord's Prayer begins with us praying that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. But actually, you could take the theme of the kingdom of God and take it right the way through the Bible. And you may have read Vaughan Roberts' book, God's Big Picture. And he does just that. He shows us, he shows us how we've got the pattern of the kingdom right at the beginning, in the garden. And as we experience their perished kingdom in the fall, he shows us that throughout history, God is working his way out to bring back that perfect kingdom. He tells us of the promised kingdom with Abraham. We see the picture, a partial kingdom, with people like David and the nation of Israel. And the kingdom is prophesied with people like Isaiah. And then Jesus comes and we have the present king, present kingdom. He's arrived as he inaugurates the rule of God. Then he calls his followers, you and I, to proclaim the kingdom as we wait for the final perfected kingdom. It's quite a helpful way to think about the Bible story. You may have heard of that before. But God is working out history all the way to a point where we will have that perfected kingdom. Kingdom that's still to come where his people will be with him. But until then we're called to to proclaim the kingdom so that other people can come and join us in that kingdom. So that's the kingdom of God. But then righteousness, I guess if seeking the kingdom is about living for and submitting to God's rule, then God's righteousness is about how we live in that kingdom. It's displaying God's character, representing Christ in how we live our lives. Displaying God's righteousness so that people see what God is like and come and join in his family. And of course, Jesus is God's righteousness. He's the king, but he is God on earth. He is the image of God that we see. He lived a perfect life of obedience and justice. He lived a life that everyone else failed to live. And he shows us what it means to live righteously, to be holy, to to love, to be generous. And of course, for us to even enter the kingdom of God, we need Jesus' righteousness. None of us are worthy. None of us have righteousness that's perfect. So therefore, we can't enter the kingdom by ourselves. We need Jesus. And so when he died on the cross, he didn't only pay the price for sin, 
to redeem us from Satan and from death, but he gives us his righteousness. He brings us into a new relationship with God so that when God sees us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees the wonderful righteousness of Jesus. And so to seek God's kingdom is to live for it, to make it our ambition, to live under God's rule, to display his character, to proclaim the good news. But of course, when we think about our efforts to do that, I'm sure, like me, you think, well, I, I daily fail in seeking first God's kingdom. Yes, we want to live under God's rule, but we also want to live under our own rule. We're constantly tempted to serve the world, to serve money. And we've been challenged, haven't we, over this chapter about not seeking our own glory, living independently from God. And so three questions tonight, three areas that we'll look at to summarise this chapter. How does seeking the kingdom of God, how does that affect our desire for glory, desire for a good reputation? How does seeking the kingdom of God affect our desire for independence from God? And how does seeking the kingdom of God influence how we use our resources, our wealth? So our desire for reputation, our independence from God, and how we use our wealth. So firstly, how does the kingdom affect our desire for glory? Because when you think about it, what other people think about you matters to us. I think that's why Jesus begins this chapter. People want praise from other people. We want friends. We want people to like us. We don't like it when people hate us or unfriend us. We want to be seen to live a good life before other people, to be doing good actions and saying kind words. We care what people think of us because what matters to us is reputation and status amongst our friends. Friendships and relationships are important to us and of course that's good, but often they come at a cost. We want them to work out our way to keep us happy. But the problem is, as we saw here, that praise from people is just so momentary, so temporary. It comes and then it goes. If we want praise from people as these hypocrites did in chapter 6, Jesus says then that's what you'll get. You'll get the praise from people but it will end there. It will last a day or two and then it will finish. I don't know but maybe you know personally how quickly praise can turn to criticism. How does the old saying go? It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. We get ourselves in a problem because we want praise from people but we enslave ourselves to them. I wonder whether that's one of the reasons we don't often talk to non-Christians about our faith. We, we're afraid of what they may think. We're afraid of being laughed at. What people think of us matters. I was reminded of James and John. Remember James and John in John chapter 10? Two of Jesus' disciples who go to Jesus and they say, hey, you're coming to your kingdom. You're approaching Jerusalem. Now you're going to come, defeat the Romans and set up your, your kingdom. 
Let James and I sit on your left and on your right in your kingdom. Their ambition was for themselves not to bless and praise Jesus, for him to be the king, but they wanted the status, they wanted the glory. And of course, this angered the disciples, not because they were, um, because they didn't like what the, the James and John did, but because they didn't get their first. If we seek the kingdom of God, if we live for his righteousness, then surely what God thinks matters more. It's not just because he's worthy of our attention and of our worship, but it's because his love for us is perfect. We don't need to impress him. And when we fail, he still loves us. If we worship reputation and people, we become enslaved. But if we worship God, then we are free because he loves us and he welcomes us into his kingdom. And so for you, think back to those first three weeks when you give, when you pray, when you fast. What needs to change in your motivation and your attitude? Let's not make our motive for others to see us for self-glory. Let's not want people to think that we're holy and spiritual, but let's do those things, but for God's glory, for God's glove, gl- glory and love. Let's want to bless him and glorify him. Let's want to let's come to God and commune with him when we pray. What matters is what God thinks of us. And of course, he rewards that. And so when you attend a prayer meeting, or maybe when you're asked to pray out loud, instead of fearing what to say or thinking what people will think of your prayers, let's take the opportunity to worship, to commune with God in that intimate relationship that prayer is. When we go through tough times in life, when we're making decisions, when we're repenting, then let's take that time to pray, to fast even, to draw near to God. And when we give, let's not boast about it. I know one thing that will help me not to boast about giving, and that's probably the sermon from two weeks ago. We talked about our treasure. And when I give, I shouldn't boast, because really, I probably could give more, but I was selfish and wanted to keep some for myself. Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness is giving glory to the king rather than stealing it from ourselves. So that's our desire for self-glory. Secondly, how does the kingdom, how does seeking the kingdom affect our independence from God, our desire for independence from God? We've just thought about how we can abuse seeking the kingdom with a motive for gaining glory for ourselves. But of course we can do the same, we can approach seeking God's kingdom, but doing it in our own efforts, in our own power. I don't know whether you've heard this description of sin before, it only works in the English language. But sin is spelt S-I-N, now the centre of sin is I, it's me. It's self-glory, it's doing things my own way. We find it hard to accept grace because we want to earn favour with God. 
We want to live our own way and make decisions in our own wisdom. And of course, that was the problem with Adam and Eve in the garden. They were tempted to think that actually if you eat the fruit, then you can be God. You can be like him. You can make your own decisions. But of course, they believed the lie. And of course, in history, all attempts to live life in our own effort and our own strength have ultimately failed. No one has managed to live a successful life in God's eyes. And even when we think we've done a pretty good job of it, I always find God is, is quick to remind us that we're really rubbish. I remember this week, I had a pretty good day on Wednesday in the morning. I felt, yeah, just, I'm working hard, I'm getting through lots of stuff. And then I got stopped by the police for cycling on the pavement. <laughs> and God reminded me, yeah, you know, not so perfect, are you, Andy? <laughs> But of course, the other side of that is that when we think about seeking the kingdom of God, we don't say, oh, I can do that in my own strength. We're saying, no, I, I really can't do that at all. We say that we're not able to. We don't have the gifts. We don't have the experience. We don't have the personality. I can't be someone who seeks the kingdom. But of course, God says, and he's been telling us here, that we're not on our own. We don't live in our own strength and our own efforts. The king is with us. He's given us his spirit. It's crazy to think that we can live our lives independently from God, and yet we do it every day. We get up in the morning and we go to work or we go to college and we fail to pray, asking for his strength. We face tasks and we have responsibilities that we can't do in our own strength, but we fail to pray. If you remember when we looked at prayer and fasting, Jesus told us that this is an intimate thing. When we go into our room and close the door, and when what God sees in secret, he'll reward. Prayer is where we have real communion with God. We're seeking him, and that shows our dependence upon him. And we're willing to take that time to open our hearts and say, yes, Lord, I need your help. We don't have to be great prayers to do that. Jesus tells us that we don't need to babble on like pagans. It doesn't matter about using great complicated theological language. God just wants to hear us. And so when we think about seeking the kingdom of God, we need to be dependent upon the God that we are seeking. And when we do that, we will see that he helps us. And so, what needs to change? I'm going to presume that none of us pray as much as we'd like to. Life is busy. Prayer gets pushed out. But if we're too busy to pray, then we're too busy. Something needs to change. Something needs to be switched around. Something maybe needs to be removed from your diary. There are things getting in the way of our relationship with God and they're not the right things. What is the best time of day for you? What are the things in your life that maybe need to be removed so that we can seek the kingdom of God being fully dependent upon him? And then thirdly, how does the kingdom of God affect the use 
of our wealth, our possessions, our resources. We were challenged a couple of weeks ago not to store up our treasures on earth, verse 19, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but to store treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. We thought about this idea that as we, we all gain money to live, which is right and we need to do that, it's very easy for us to then live to gain money. And then we saw that as, if we live to gain money, it's not long before money gains us, gains our hearts. We thought about the problem with, with money is that we, we love it, we can see it. Possessions are good for us, of course, and God gives them to us, but it's very easy for us to be captivated by those things. And as we saw in verse 22 and 23, money is that terrible slave master. It makes great demands of us. It causes us to be stingy and selfish. And just like when we live for the praise of the world, it's living for money and possessions, it's just temporary. It fades, it can be destroyed. And of course, it just, they won't last forever. But we are children of the kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever and ever. It starts now. And so let's be children of the kingdom that live in a way that will go on forever. To use our wealth, to use the things God has given to us in ways that affect eternity. Blessing others, serving the church, serving the kingdom with what God has given us. When Luke uh, records the teaching of Jesus and he talks about this passage of storing treasure in, in heaven and earth, he begins by telling a parable. You may remember this parable of a certain man who yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And Jesus says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. We live with that battle, don't we? Of being called to seek first the kingdom of God and yet surrounded by people in a world that tells us to seek first yourself, your own kingdom. But as we live to seek God's kingdom, we will live useful lives, lives that make a difference with things that really matter, a difference for eternity. And so I ask again, what needs to change? I mentioned three, three things to, three questions to ask yourself in the next month when you get your paycheck. 
Can you remember those questions? How much will you spend of the money that comes in this month? How much will you spend and what will you spend it on? How much will you save and what will you save it for? And how much will you give? And why not give more? It's a challenge to know how to seek first the kingdom of God to display his righteousness, to bring a little bit of heaven on earth, to be a people that live countercultural, radically different lives, dependent upon God, not ourselves, seeking his glory, not our own, using the time and the resources and the gifts and the talents for him rather than ourselves. And I wonder if we did that, we'd probably enjoy our lives better. Because we've been living the life God calls us to live. That battle that goes on inside our hearts and our consciences. So let's pray and let's encourage one another to seek first God's kingdom. And when we do, God will take care of the rest. All the things that we worry about, the things that we care about, that we be concerned would go away if we don't seek God's kingdom. God will provide those things. Seeking the kingdom of God is not a terrible thing. It's not enslaving. It's not the worst life. But it's what we were made for. And one day, Jesus will return. And he will create a new heaven and a new earth. And our perfect kingdom will be set up forever. And if you trusted in Christ, you will be there. I look forward to that day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that although we live in a world that um, seeks to live for its own glory, that is building its own kingdoms, and we truly look at how successful that is going, we can see we live in a world that is so messed up. Whereas one person builds his kingdom, it comes at the expense of another person. Yet, Father, you call us to seek your kingdom, a kingdom that's not of this world, but a kingdom that is coming into this world. We thank you that one day all the kingdoms of the world will be destroyed, will come to an end, and your kingdom will remain. And this evening, we want to thank you that we are a part of that kingdom. Help us to see the privilege that is of being children of the king, the real king, the king that will last forever. And help us to know what it means to live as children of that king in the kingdom. Well, we know that we struggle, that we are tempted to wander away, to live in our own way. God, give us passion, give us zeal, give us motivation. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can seek your kingdom and that we will trust our lives to you and your loving care for us. We pray these things for your glory and for your kingdom's sake. Amen.